The elders request that for those of you who are on the edges, uh, particularly the single folks, uh, you might have to scoot in today. So be ready to help us with that so we can have more room uh, for people to get in because we're going to, uh, seems like we're going to have a big crowd today. So please be ready to get close, get close today and, and be willing to scoot in to give people, uh, particularly our guests, room to, to have a place, a place to sit. Is that right, Dave? Did I say that right, sir? Okay. Uh, so today we're going to be in lesson uh, three. We're in lesson three. Remember the rules for the class. For those of you who have not been able to come to the class, we have rules for it. So those are on the slide right there. We're going to be in lesson three in our class. And before we jump into that, we're going to bow our heads. We're going to have a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we are so thankful, Father, for you blessing us to be here, Father, to open up your word and to study and to grow, Father. We're so thankful, Father, for Brother Scott being here with us today and this week. We pray that your hand of blessing be on his work that he'll be doing here in this place. We pray for all of our young people, for all of our Bible class teachers, Father. We pray that this, this hour of Bible study will be something that you are pleased with and that will glorify your name. Help us have reverence for the occasion and reverence for the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. So for those who are visiting with us this morning, we are currently involved uh, in a quarter of classes about Bible authority. We're studying Bible authority. An understanding of Bible authority, the authority of the scriptures, is absolutely critical. The vast majority of, of problems in religion today, uh, the vast majority of, of issues that have to do with division in religion can be tied to this right here. It can be tied to a failure to have proper reverence and understanding of the authority of the scriptures. This is the key issue that contributes to so much division in the religious world today. And so understanding this is critically important. Our elders here certainly understand that, and that's why they've asked the junior high and up to be in this particular class. So in our last class, just to bring us up to speed with what we studied on Wednesday, we started looking at, we started looking at the inspiration of the scriptures. The inspiration of the scriptures. By inspiration of the scriptures, we mean the source of the scriptures. We mean where do the scriptures come from? Do the scriptures come from Satan or do they come from God? Do the scriptures come from the mind of men or do the scriptures come from the mind of God? We cannot begin to properly understand how to, how to apply Bible authority if we're not first sold 100% on the Bible coming from God. We can't talk about how to establish Bible authority if we're not first sold on the fact that the Bible is inspired by God. And so these passages you see on the slide were some of the passages where the Bible itself claims, claims to come from God. The Bible writers claim to be speaking revelation from the Holy Spirit. And so we looked at places where the Apostle Peter claimed to be inspired. And we looked at verses where the Apostle Paul claimed to be inspired. And verses where Peter claimed that Paul was inspired. And Paul claimed that Luke was inspired. 
and, and passages where Moses claims to be inspired and where people claim that Moses was inspired. And, and several passages where the prophets claim to be writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and where Jesus claimed that the Old Testament prophets and, and those that we can uh, read about like Moses and, and Samuel and Daniel and others were speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In fact, this last section of scripture is particularly interesting because if you remember on Wednesday, we noticed how in passages like the ones that are circled there, we have a claim from the Bible that every part of it comes from God. Not just a particular book, a particular chapter, a particular verse, particular words, but every part of it. So in Matthew 7, in Matthew 7, Jesus talks about the writings of Moses. And he says that Moses' writings were the word of God. And then you have Paul saying in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 that all scripture is inspired by God. That means they come from the mind of God. The source of the scriptures is God. And then you have Jesus in Luke 24 after his resurrection telling us what the canon of scripture was when it comes to the Old Testament. He says it makes up the writings of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. That's the canon. And then in John 16, if we put that with what Jesus said about the New Testament, he says the apostles, the apostles and the New Testament prophets would be given all of the truth from the Holy Spirit. And so there are passages in the Bible where all of the Bible is claiming to come from God. Now that's important, and I'm going to tell you why that's important. The practical reason why that is important, as we kind of give a summary statement here, all the Bible claims to be inspired. By all the Bible claiming to be inspired, we mean that the writers claim to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. They claim to be giving revelation from heaven. Jesus claimed that the Bible writers were inspired, and here's the practical application from that. If this is true, what they are saying, what they are claiming, then that means that all the Bible should be accepted. And if it's not coming from God, it should be rejected. See, when it comes to the Bible, all of the Bible, based on these claims, either all of it should be accepted or all of it should be rejected. You can't just take parts of it that you like and, accept, and reject other parts. You can't treat it like a buffet line. At a restaurant, I want a little bit of this, don't, don't want that, I want some steak, but I don't want the broccoli. You, 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 you can't do the Bible like that based on what the Bible is claiming about itself. And do we not live in a society where people try to do this, where they try to treat the Bible like a buffet line? Not just when it comes to the instrumental music stuff, like we're, we're, we're talking about, we're talking about our music, you know, people do that with the, with the instrumental music. I like that from the Old Testament. But I don't like that part about the animal sacrifices and being stoned if you break the Sabbath. We, you've heard of that before, right? But, but let's take that further. Let's take that further. If all the Bible is inspired by God, then that means we got to accept what it says about homosexuality. Can't throw that away. Can't say, oh, you know, I like this part about love. I like this part about grace. And I like this part about God's mercy and God's forgiveness. But that homosexuality stuff, no, no, that's not, that's, not, that's not for us today. 
Can't do that. Not if all the Bible comes from God. Can't do that when it comes to forgiving other people. Loving your enemies. I don't like that part there. Well, if all the Bible comes from God, you got to take that too. The same applies when it comes to baptism. You know, I like the part about believing in Jesus, having faith. I don't like all these passages about baptism. No, if all the Bible comes from God, you got to take Mark 16, 16. You got to take Romans 6. You got to take 1 Corinthians 12, Galatians 3, Acts 8, Acts 22. Got to take it all. Same is true about women preachers. How often have you heard people say, well, you know, I like the part about God's grace, God's love, all that's true. But that first Timothy two stuff that that was for that time. You ever heard someone say that before? That's for that culture. That was for the problems going on then. No, that's not that doesn't apply to somebody like Joyce Meyer today. That doesn't apply to her. So you can't do that. Not if you accept all the Bible comes from God. Then that means that first Timothy two stuff about Women not usurping authority over men in the in the worship in the preaching and teaching. Got to take that, too. Got to take that, too. No matter where our culture is going with the women's movements and things like that. Got to take First Timothy, too. And the same is true of marriage, divorce and remarriage. How often have you seen people say, I don't like that Matthew 19. You know, God wants me to be happy. He's not really serious about that. I don't, I don't like that. No, if the Bible comes from God, then all of it comes from God. The homosexuality stuff comes from God. Forgiving people, loving your enemies, baptism, women preachers, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Either it all comes from God or none of it comes from God based on what the Bible claims about itself. And so we looked at also some proofs of inspiration. Not going to go into a lot of detail on these. I thought we had a pretty good discussion on these things. On Wednesday, we talked about fulfilled prophecy. In the Bible, you have men by, moved by the Holy Spirit predicting things hundreds, sometimes thousands of years in advance. And we have historical evidence that these predictions were made and, and these things happened exactly the way they said they would. That's fulfilled prophecy. We talked about the harmony of the scriptures. That's another proof how you have the Bible written over 1,500 years, 40 different writers, written in three different languages. Many of the writers didn't know each other, had different occupations, and yet there's not one contradiction in it, not one contradiction concerning the most controversial message in the, in the history of the world, and that's Jesus is the Son of God. That is, to, that is totally just remarkable. And then we looked at things like archaeology. I think Sister Michelle brought that up. Michelle Amalong brought that up, so that was a really good point. And in my view, the biggest piece of evidence is the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus is raised from the dead, if he really came out of that tomb after being crucified by the Romans, then that means all the Bible has to come from God. Because Jesus claimed all the Bible came from God. He's raised from the dead, and God's not going to raise a liar from the dead, right? And then... One more we, we want to put on there is this miraculous signs. And we're going to talk more about that as we keep moving here. By miraculous signs, we mean that those who were inspired in the time when the Bible was being revealed, they could confirm that they were inspired. They could do miracles to prove that they were messengers of God. And Jesus said they would do that at the end of Mark 16. So that's another piece of evidence. We'll talk more about that 
as we move forward. Now, what we want to do today is we finish up lesson three there. If you're going to go towards the end of lesson three in that final section, there are some questions we need to look at, some questions that help determine the Bible's inspiration. For a lot of people, they uh, fail to ask the proper questions when it comes to inspiration of the scriptures. And so I want to talk about some questions that we need to, to, to ask ourselves when it comes to trying to determine what is inspired of God and what is not. And as you answered those questions, one of the things I hoped you did was you tried to put yourself in the sandals of first century Christians. You know, when it comes to determining inspiration of the Bible, the books of the Bible, the Old Testament is not in question today. Today it's not. Because that was settled even in the time of Jesus. Jesus said so. The prophets, the writings of Moses, and the Psalms. The Jews knew what made up the Old Testament canon. They knew that. And, and you ever heard of those apocrypha books, those books written between the Testaments that are usually stuffed in the back of the Catholic Bible? The Jews never recognized those as coming from God. They never did. Now, they're good books, good historical books, but they didn't recognize those books as Scripture. In the time of Jesus, the Old Testament canon, that is what constituted Scripture from the Old Testament, was settled. It had been settled for a long time. So today in our time, the controversy doesn't surround the Old Testament. It mainly surrounds the New Testament. So as you answer these five questions at the end of lesson three, I, I wanted you, I hoped you would have at least try, tried to put yourself in the shoes or the sandals of the early Christians. If we are early Christians, if we're in Corinth, okay, we're in Thessalonica, we're reading Thessalonians right now, right? We're in Thessalonica, we're in Corinth, let's imagine. We're in Philippi, and we're trying to figure out, okay, what's coming from God here? What's coming from God? We know what the Old Testament is, but what's coming from God now? There are some questions we, had to, we would have to ask. And the first one was, who wrote the book? Okay, we're, we're members. We're members of the Church of Thessalonica. Imagine that. We're members of the Church of Thessalonica. Okay, we got a letter. We got a letter from somebody. We need to know who wrote it. Why is that important? Does anybody have an answer? Raise your hand if you have an answer in your book as to why that question is important. If we are members of the Church of Thessalonica trying to figure out what's coming from God. Yes, Mike. So the Bereans, they're studying, they're searching the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. They're searching the Old Testament. No question about that. So they can compare. But what are we going to compare this with? Right? That's good, Mike. That's good. Anyone else have something to answer? Yes, Michael. Yes, sir. No, Michael said, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Man, you said that better than, you, you said they way better than me. Well, you, you sound a whole lot smarter than me, too, so, which is not hard to do. <laughs> Knowing the author determines credibility. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Sean Michael, did you have an answer? You had, you had your hand up. Well, did you want to say something, too? Yeah. Okay. I said I'm sorry people 
Micah and Shomach are saying the same thing. Two, two big brains sitting by each other. So Micah says, who wrote the book determines the credibility. Shawn Michael says there were a lot of uninspired books being written at this time. Both of them are absolutely right. They're absolutely right about that. So let's talk about that a little bit. So if you remember, Jesus said that in John 16, Jesus said to the apostles, the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to you all the truth. He's going to reveal all the truth to you. The you there is not you. The you there was Peter, James, John, Matthew, people he's looking at in the eye and talking to them. So that's important because Jesus told us who the revelation was going to. But look at what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Go in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians 2. We're going to do a lot of Bible reading this morning. So let's go ahead and get those Bibles cranking up. And, and 2 Thessalonians 2, and we're reading Thessalonians right now. We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians in the next few weeks. Paul said to the, and remember, we're members of the church of Thessalonica right now. That's us. We're, we're imagining that, okay? And Paul said, now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So evidently there is some controversy at this time about the coming of Jesus. There are questions about that. And he says, with regard to that, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. What is Paul telling us here if we're members of the, of the Thessalonian church? He is saying, be careful. Because our letter's going out right now. That's claiming to come from us. And they're not coming from us. Do you see that? There are letters going out at this time that the early Christians got to watch out for because they are claiming to come from apostles. And Paul says, you be careful with that. You be careful getting letters that are not really from us claiming to come from us. So this explains why when you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and you look at, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, forgive me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the next chapter, and in verse 17. Look at how Paul closed this letter. This is, this is important to Paul because he says in verse 17, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is coming from me. And this is the distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. Why is Paul closing a letter like that? He wants them to know this is really me. This is a real apostle here. And so if we are members of the church at Thessalonica, we got to be careful with the letters we're getting. We got to be careful with believing every letter we're getting is coming from Paul or Peter. Paul says a lot of false letters going out at this time. That's important. Who wrote a book is important to determining whether it belongs in the canon because there are only a few inspired people. Secondly, when was the book written? When was the book written? So now we know that if a book is not coming from an inspired person, we don't mess with that. We don't listen to that. Not if it's not coming from an inspired person. What about this question, though? Does anybody have any thoughts on why this is an important question? When was a book written? 
Yes, Brother Mitch. Absolutely. So that's a good one. Brother Mitch talks about, is it historically accurate? And I think that is especially true when you look at books like the book of Luke, like we looked at last year, Daniel, another one of those books like that. It's, it's, it's got to be on point. It's got to be on point with history. And I think that's a, that's a great answer, Mitch. That's a great answer. Does anybody else have one? Brother, Brother Gary, yes, sir. So, is it being written before or after prophecy? That's why things like the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint are so important. It, it is, it's not powerful. It's not a true prediction if you write it after the fact. Even historically, Josephus said Malachi was the last book written in the Jewish canon. Yes. So, historically, we know those books are written. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's good. Anyone else? Maybe one more answer here. Yes. Yes. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. Go in your Bible, please, to 1 Corinthians. All y'all are giving great answers, wonderful answers. I love them. 1 Corinthians 13, to kind of go with this. I think this is going to go with what you're saying. There, are many, there were many books written after the, after the time of inspiration. There were many books written after the time of inspiration. And that's a problem. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and in verse number 9, the apostle said, for we know in part, when Paul talks about knowing here, he's talking about revelation. Revelation from God. Knowledge from God. We know in part, which means when Paul wrote this, we're getting partial revelation. Does that make sense? You're getting just bits and pieces right now. We don't have partial revelation, you and I, right now. You know what we have? We got full revelation. But they're getting part revelation. So Paul says we know in part right now. We know in part. And we prophesy in part partial revelation. But when the perfect comes, now a lot of people say, well, the perfect there is Jesus. That goes nothing with the context. What is partial makes up that which is perfect. If, I got a, if we got a large pizza here, two slices of the pizza help make up the whole pizza. And that's what Paul is talking about here. What is the part makes up the perfect. If the part is knowledge, then the perfect is knowledge. Does that make sense? We know in part. We prophesy in part, but when, perf when the perfect comes, when perfect revelation comes, that's the whole Bible. The partial is going to be done away. That is, that partial revelation we're getting, that's going to be done away when we get the whole shebang. That's done away. When I was a child, now he's using an illustration to make his point. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things, meaning when we get the perfect Bible, we're not going to need that partial stuff anymore. That's, that's the principle he's laying down here. For now, we see in a mirror dimly just seen kind of dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. Just I also have been fully known, but now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. 
what Paul is saying is there's going to come a day when all you got in the church is faith, hope, and love. Because you're not going to have revelation no more. You're not going to need that no more. You're not going to need the spiritual gifts anymore. It's going to be a time when that's done away. So the reason I'm bringing that up here is because Paul says there's going to come a day when the revelation is going to stop. It's not going to keep going. Even though, don't you hear people today say, God told me something. God gave me a message. Isn't that what the Book of Mormon is all about? An additional revelation? Paul says, no, 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 no. There's going to come a time when it stops. When is it going to stop? When revelation was, was revealed. When the book of Revelation was revealed. When the Bible's fully revealed, no more. Another thing to think about. 2 Peter 3, 1. I mean, 2 Peter 1, 3, forgive me. 2 Peter 1, 3. Peter says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us. The us there, it's not us in the context. It's Peter and the other inspired writers. He's given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. The point here is this question is important. In addition to what all of you said, this question is important because if we have a book that is written after the time of inspiration, after the time of the apostles, we can't accept that. We can't accept that. There is a limited amount of time for revelation to be given from God. And if we're accepting books after this, no, can't do it. Can't do it. This is a, I think this is a good argument to think about if you talk to your Mormon friends. This is a good thing to think about here. This was a limited amount of time. So this takes out the Gnostic Gospels, right, Brother Don? This takes out the Gnostic Gospels. This takes out these things you hear about the gospel of Judas. You ever heard of the gospel of Judas? The gospel of Philip? The gospel of Thomas? Do you think the gospel of Thomas was really written by Thomas? Absolutely not. You think the gospel of Philip was really written by Philip? Or the gospel of Judas was really written by Judas? No. What people did was you had Gnostic teachers write those books and slap an apostle's name on it so, they, so people could take it seriously. But these books were written way after, way after the time of the true apostles, after the time of revelation was being given. This is an important question here. Question three, who's all accepting the book that's coming from God? We are members of the church of Thessalonica right now. We got a letter. We want to know who wrote it. Did Paul really write this? When is it written? Who's all accepting the book is coming from God? When I say who all is accepting it, I mean, is Philippi accepting this? Is Corinth accepting this? Is Berea, you mentioned, are they accepting this? What about the prophets we have in the church still right now? What do they think about it? What about other Christians that we know of? What about some of the visitors we may have here in our assembly right now who are from Philippi, who are from Corinth? They're here. Have y'all heard of this before? This, this is another important question. This is an important question, and, I, and I'll tell you this. It's important because it was a question that brethren in the first century were seriously asking because they're trying to figure out the canon. 
contrary to what, what you may have heard, there was no church council that determined what belonged in the Bible. I don't care if you're talking about, you know, the, the council of hippo or, or whatever you want to say. None of that stuff determined the canon. The canon it was already determined way before that stuff came. What happened was, is you had brethren in the first century having discussions, having debates about what's coming from God and what's not coming from God. And that is wonderful. That's wonderful. Because you know what it shows us? It shows us they took this seriously. They wanted to make sure that they were not getting up here in their pulpits reading letters publicly at church that were not from God. See, we have a blessing. If you want to read Romans, you know what you can do? Go home and read it. But if you were a Christian in the first century, you couldn't just have a copy of Romans. You couldn't afford it, number one. And maybe you couldn't even read it. You were illiterate, like most people were at that time. So the only time you're going to get to hear from Paul what Paul is saying to the church at Rome, you had to go to church. You had to go to church. And you had to sit in the assembly and let a, hear a brother read it to you. That's how they did it. They couldn't just go home and read Romans. You think everybody at home had a big old copy of Romans and a big old copy of Philippians, a big scrolls around their house? No, unless you were like Bill Gates at that time. They didn't work that way. You had to go to church to hear this stuff. And so they, they had to ask these questions. So... This is why certain books were accepted pretty quick as coming from God and, and certain ones were not. Like Paul's letters. We know Paul wrote at least 13 letters. And those were pretty quick, pretty quickly determined as that they're, they're inspired. We know Paul. Paul's pretty popular. He's going around the place preaching. We know Paul. We can recognize his stuff pretty good. Paul's stuff was quickly accepted. And so, so were other books like 1 Peter uh, it's, uh, certain ones of the God, certain of the Gospels, but there were other books that took some time before the brethren said, okay, we're all on board with this. One of them is a book that was studied recently by our brethren over there. It's a book that to this day we don't know the author. What book is that? And why do you think they had a lot of debates on Hebrews? Because I just told you the answer. We don't know who wrote it. So we got to talk about that. Gotta have, we got to have some discussion on that. Second Peter falls into that. Jude fell into that. And Revelation fell into that as well. There are a lot of books that, that took some time to really try to figure out, is this coming from God? We need to know who wrote it. What is it teaching? But by the providence of God, it all worked out naturally. People started to recognize what was coming from God and what was not. Brother Lance, yes, sir. Man, if I do. <laughs> Go ahead and read it, though. Yeah. And I will, but what's interesting about this is we have an inspired book that's not included in the Bible because we don't have it. Um, it says, now, when, the epistle, when this epistle, speaking of Colossians, is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from the Laodiceans. We do not have the epistle... We, 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 that we think, no, I'll say so about that, Lance, because a lot of people think that's Ephesians. Okay, fair, fair, fair enough. 
You see what I'm saying? A lot of people think that what Paul is talking about, there is a letter we have in the canon. It's not like the letter to later all the seems could be possibly not saying you're wrong, but most scholars think this is Ephesians. What I was going to say is what this is showing here is a big fancy word we use today called chain of custody. Yeah. Custody. Right. Right. So, so it was trusted by that church. It was trusted by the other church and they were able to swap with each other. And so that goes back to who's accepting. And that's important because copies are being made. We need as many copies as possible because the more copies you have, the better chance you have of knowing what was in the original. You don't want just one original, the original going out. You know why? Because it can be destroyed or it can be changed. But if you got a bunch of copies, which no book in antiquity compares to the, to the New Testament manuscripts when it comes to this, to the New Testament when it comes to this, now we can put all these copies together and figure out what was the right, the original message. And the great thing about the Bible is with all these thousands of copies we have, the main messages are all the same. You may have some punctuation errors and some you know, variations, but it is intact, and that's important. So let's read Colossians 4.16 again. Go there with me in your Bible if you're not there. Again, Paul says, when this letter is read among you, so is that what we just said? The churches are getting the letters. Our brother is getting up here. Maybe it's not a nice pulpit like this, but he's standing in front of the church. And he's saying, good morning, everybody. Guess what? We got a letter from Paul. Isn't that exciting? So let's, let's read it. Let's read this letter from him. So he got this big scroll. He's going to read it. And then we're going to copy it. So we're going to have somebody going to copy it. And then we're going to send it off. That's what's going on in the New Testament. So in the New Testament world. So when this letter is read among you, have it also read to the church of the Laodiceans. The church of Laodiceans got to get this. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. This is what's going on. And his brethren are getting these letters. They're getting these letters. And, and we got this letter. And we need to make sure it's from Paul. But, you know, we're also getting a letter from Clement. And we might get a letter from Polycarp. And we might get a letter from Ignatius. And these are good brothers. These are what you call, you ever heard of the early church fathers? I don't really like that terminology. But what that, these are just people who knew the apostles, good brothers in Christ, members of the church. But you know what? They were sending letters out too. They were sending letters out. So we get a letter from Clement. Clement sends us a letter in Thessalonica or, or Colossae. And I get up and I read this letter from Clement. Hey, everybody, we got this letter from Paul, but Clement sent us a letter. So I'm going to read to you the letter from Clement. And then somebody from Philippi is in the audience and they say, wait a minute. I never heard of a letter from Clement. Now, I've heard of this other letter you read. We heard of that. But what's this Clement thing all about? So they're having these discussions now. You see, Clement's a good brother. We love Clement. But should I be reading his stuff as scripture? Can't do that. And, and we do this all the time. You know, sometimes we'll, we'll have brothers, and God bless them. I think it's wonderful. They'll quote from songs in the songbook when they do a talk. They quote us from a song. Now, we sang from Psalm 19. That's scripture. <laughs> That's scripture. But sometimes we'll read out of our songbook. You know, you'll go to a song, and you may read some words from when the, when the role was called up younger, yonder. Is that scripture? Does it give scriptural thoughts? Yes. But is it scripture? You understand it's not scripture, right? That's the kind of stuff the early Christians need to make sure they could do, too. 
We may read a letter from Clement, but understand this is not scripture. Clement not inspired. Paul's stuff is. That carries more weight. It's coming from God. Now, those passages I put up there are other passages that are important because it show those passages show there are letters going out at this time. Paul said, I'm sending you stuff. And the early Christians are figuring out providentially what's the scripture and what's not. Any thoughts or more thoughts right here? Yes, your brother Brian. Yes. When we're talking about majority. Right. Just because everybody believes something does not in and of itself make it the thing. So I think right. we need to put this conversation alongside that one and make sure that we Absolutely. We, we know that it's because of who wrote it, it's because of when it was written. It's also because of as First Corinthians chapter twelve talks about, people were given gifts to discern spirits. Yes. They were given by the spirit the gift to discern who was actually speaking truth. So when they said a book was, or a letter was, was correct, they actually had the gift of the spirit to know whether it was correct. So yeah, that's it's a, not, not yeah. just that everybody was Right. No, that's a good point. Now, a couple of things I want to say about that. First, you talk about the, the prophets. So if I get up here and I read this letter from Clement, we probably got two prophets in this church who are going to be able to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, this is not coming from God. This is a prophet saying this in the church. Another thing we can also add is when Paul told the church at Rome, he said, I long to see you so that I can impart to you some spiritual gift so you can be established. See, the church at Rome needed those prophets so they could discern. So that's a great point, Brian. That's a point well taken. Yes, yes, Brother Dunn, then I'll come back to you, Mitch. With respect to Clement and the rest of those Pope early Right. <laughs> And that's what they did. And we identified the scriptures, and that's what Clement and the rest of them did. Yep. And a lot of the, the reconstruction of the New Testament came from is them. based upon their quotation saying this came from the <clears throat> In fact, it's been said that you could reconstruct the whole New Testament just based on looking at the things they wrote. And they themselves were not telling people to accept their, their writings as scripture, but they were quoting Paul and Peter and other apostles. Right. Absolutely. Brother Mitch, yes, sir. Right. Yes, sir. In the next 100 years, by 200 AD, it was commonly accepted during that, at that time that the New Testament canon was, was settled. They had all the debates and they had all the back and forth, but this is not something that was settled last week. Right. It took time. And, and, but, but you're right, it, it took a little time, Mitch. You're so right about that. But it was still before the Catholics came along trying to have these councils. That's excellent. So one more thing I want to say real quick to add to this, these last two points I want to put up here. What does the book teach? I think it's pretty obvious of why that's important. Because at this time, we're talking about these other books that were going out. Think about the Gnostic books. They were teaching things like Jesus didn't come in the flesh. It didn't matter what you did in the flesh. We can't accept that. That's not what Paul was teaching, right? Paul didn't teach that. John didn't teach that. Look at 1 John 1. 
So we got to know what a book teaches. This is why we don't accept the Gnostic Gospels. We don't accept the Book of Mormon because it teaches things that contradict the Bible you have in front of you this morning. This is why we don't accept the Quran because it teaches things that are contradictory to the Bible you have in front of you, front of you or the Jehovah's Witness, what the Jehovah's Witnesses have. One more thing I want to say, if you just give me one minute, please. Can I ask you to go to 1 Peter? Can I close with this just real quick? And this is a great discussion. But just look at this last part real quick with me, if you don't mind. Just 1 Peter 1. And I, and I promise you, I won't ask to do this too often. I just want just one extra minute. And verse number 20, 23. 1 Peter 1, 23. Peter said to these Christians, for you have been born again. Not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off and the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. So I think this will tie in Brother Brian's comment, Mitch, Don, Lance. You agree with me, young people, that God is all powerful. Would you agree with that? And you would agree that God made the sun and the moon and the stars and us as human beings and all the creatures. If God has the power to do those things, would you also agree that he has the power to preserve his word? That he would have the power to reveal it and make sure it's exactly the way he wants it to be for all time until his son comes back. Well, all of y'all agree with that? So that's what that comment is about. Has it withstood the test of time? By that I mean an all-powerful God, if he's powerful to make everything, and he is, then he certainly is powerful enough to reveal his word and preserve it just like we have it right here in our Bibles. To question the Bible and whether we have everything God wants us to have is to question the power of God. And I'm not going to do that. Thank you all very much. Let's stop right there. We will start with lesson four a week from today. Thank you all so much. Great comments today.